So this morning, we are going to be in Mark chapter 1. If you've not been with us, we are working our way through Mark, and so we've been through Revelation. We spent, it seems, 10 years in Revelation, all right? In fact, we are probably towards the millennia now because it took us so long. Uh, But now we're going to be in Mark, but we're moving a little quicker through Mark than we did in Revelation. So I'm not going to be reading every single verse in the gospel according to Mark. We're going to kind of jump around. And last week, uh, two weeks ago, I gave an introduction to Mark. And in that introduction, I told you that Mark was likely the very first of the gospels written and one of the earlier New Testament uh, books written. In addition, as Mark was writing, Mark was writing uh, sort of fast-paced. He was very action-oriented, and he's kind of wanting to get to the point. And so if you can compare Mark to the other Gospels, where the other Gospels sort of flesh a lot of the action out, Mark gets right through it. And that's exemplified as when we look at the temptation of Christ. So when the Spirit drives Jesus, or leads Jesus, I should say, into the wilderness after his baptism to be tempted by Satan. In Matthew, we are given this sort of this grandiose story of what happens in the wilderness. In Mark, that's not as important. Now, Mark is not saying what happens in the wilderness is not important. What he's saying is it's not important to what he's trying to do. And what Mark is trying to do in his gospel is to demonstrate, one, the divinity of Jesus as the Son of God, he is also trying to demonstrate the suffering Son of Man. So this suffering servant that Jesus bore our sins and he bore the wounds that we deserved on our behalf for us and he suffered in our place. And so that's what he's trying to demonstrate. Now, As I am walking through Mark, I'm trying to select stories or snippets of the gospel that are demonstrating different aspects of Christ, different uh, perspectives of Christ. And so last week we went into the prologue. And so in that prologue, we were introduced to John the Baptist, so Jesus' cousin, who was about six months older than Christ, or Jesus Christ. And John's sole purpose in life was to prepare the way for Jesus. That was his one mission. Everything in his life, his very birth, was committed to preparing the way for Jesus Christ. That was everything. And we talked about last week what a heavy load or a heavy, uh, a heavy burden that might have been if it wasn't for the Lord. That his soul, I mean, think about that. Your entire job is to prepare the way for Jesus. That's quite a mission. That's quite a commission that God had given John the Baptist. And then we see where John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, inaugurating Jesus' ministry. Then Jesus is led out into the wilderness in order to be tempted by Satan, to demonstrate that Jesus has the same temptations, has been exposed to the same trials that we are exposed to, yet Jesus succeeds where we most often fail. And then the angels ministered to him, and then he leaves the wilderness and begins his ministry. And we see in chapter 1, 
verse 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So John was arrested for really riling people up, all right? He was causing a commotion, or at least that's what it seemed to the authorities. So they arrested him, and as you all know, John is going to be murdered, all right? He's going to be killed. His head, he's going to be decapitated. His head is going to be delivered on a silver platter, okay? That's where we get that, that phrase. And so John is killed for the gospel, but then Jesus comes into Galilee proclaiming this, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And I argued a couple Sundays ago that that is the main point or the main thing that Christ is trying to get across to all those who would hear. The kingdom of God is now present, it is now here. It, is all, it has already arrived in my inauguration, in my incarnation, and the beginning of my ministry, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, I didn't have this in my sermon today, but I think it does bear, it, it bears out that I should just briefly address this idea of the kingdom of God. Some of you all, if you've been in churches for a, a, a length of time, you might have heard a preacher say that the kingdom of God is both already and not yet. That phrase, the already and the not yet, which seems like a really odd phrase to use. But that's how theologians describe the kingdom of God. And what that means is, with the incarnation of Christ, with the inauguration of Jesus, the kingdom of God is now in our midst. We are in the midst of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. But it's also not yet, meaning that it is not yet complete. All right? History has not been consummated yet. And that happens with the second coming of Christ. When, so the, the coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ, inaugurates the kingdom of heaven. The second coming of Christ completely fulfills the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we see with the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus arrives, he says, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. And we talked a couple weeks ago how that belief or that repentance is not necessarily repentance from individual sins. Oh, I cussed when I stubbed my toe. I will therefore repent. Or I had, I had angry, murderous thoughts towards my, my boss. I better repent, right? Um, I cheered for Louisville. I better... Re so, sorry, sorry, Toya. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay? But you get where, you get where we're going there, okay? That it's not necessarily repentance from individual sins. While it is that, it is primarily repentance of unbelief. That is the great repentance that we are repenting from. We are turning from unbelief into belief in Jesus Christ. And that's where we land today. And so Jesus begins his ministry. He calls some of his disciples to himself. All right. I will make you fishers of men. Right. So they're out there casting nets, doing a day's work. And he says, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. 
And what do they do? They do not dilly-dally around. They don't sit there and contemplate it. They don't say, well, I tell you what, give me a week so I can weigh my options. They drop their nets, and immediately, Mark says, they follow him. They follow. Would it be that we would have that kind of faith? To dro- That's exactly right, Tinsley. To drop our nets and follow Christ. Would it be that we would have the kind of faith that when Christ calls us, that we would drop whatever we're doing and follow Jesus? Remember, dropping those nets was not like giving up a hobby. It isn't like just, just getting rid of like some activity that we... Per- they were dropping their nets in the sense that we are forfeiting our livelihood in order to commit ourselves to a life of service for Jesus Christ. Far too often we find ourselves, when called upon by our Savior, to reject the world or to cease an activity in our life for His work that we, have, we, we, we come into some sort of like uh, sort of like negotiation with Jesus, right? Like, well, Jesus, I will, I'll stop doing this and follow you if you'll do this for me. Jesus did not, there's what was, there was no negotiation here. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they followed. Would it be that we would have that kind of faith? And then we see that Jesus removes unclean spirits. We, taught, we typically will call that, in, in our modern jargon, we call that an exorcism, if you will. All right, But that word, it's, it's not really a, a Protestant word as much as it is sort of a, a Catholic word. But what Jesus was doing was he was removing spirits, unclean spirits, from these individuals. I made a comment the other day that I'm trying to eat more healthy. And so I went to the store and I bought turkey bacon. Now, I don't know how many of you all have had turkey bacon. Toy, I don't know if, Toy, if you're raising your hand and you're excited about that or if you're like, I, I did it and I, I know your pain. But I got that turkey bacon. You love it. I need to get with you and figure out a recipe. Because when I cooked it and then tasted it, I think I said something to this that it both smelled and tasted like a failed exor- exorcism. Um, and, um, but the dogs really loved it. But they eat stuff out of the yard, too. So, you know, it's one of those things. So anyway, so Jesus is busy healing individuals. He's removing or healing individuals with unclean spirits. And he's preaching the gospel in all of Galilee. And now we land in chapter 1, verse 40, where we're going to hear the story about the leper. And this morning's message is entitled, We Are All Lepers. And so I'm going to read our passage in full this morning, and then I'm going to break it up into sections. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to break it up into sections. Mark writes, And a leper, beginning in verse 40, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, 
and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing that Mo- what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Father, my prayer this morning is that as we read your word and we read these different verses that we would exalt Christ, the name of Jesus, and that we would see ourselves as not different than the leper, cleaner than the leper, more holy than the leper, more faithful than leper than the leper, but that we would consider ourselves as the leper. That, Father, we are individuals of unclean lips, as Isaiah writes. And like that coal touching the prophet's lips, making him clean, the only thing that cleanses us is the blood of Christ. And I pray this morning that we would see that truth and would resonate with us. That the healing of the leper was more than skin deep but it was a new heart that was given. Lord, we love you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We are all lepers in the end. Now, I like watching medical dramas. Now, I was telling somebody earlier this morning that on Netflix, there is a show that I liken to a Hallmark show called Virgin River. Now, I make it a point in my life not to watch Hallmark movies anymore because it lowers my testosterone, I believe. But my wife said, you should watch Virgin River with me. And I was like, I don't want. She said, there's a doctor in it. Now, folks, if there's a doctor in something, there's a lot of medicine, I'm going to watch it. Okay, I watch a lot of doctor shows. I love doctor shows. Cop shows, lawyer shows, doctor shows, procedural shows I love to watch. Okay, And then I like to tell my wife, that's not how you would do that in real life. We're watching a lawyer show right now, and they're in the middle of the courtroom. And I, I'm watching it, and I just look at it and I'm like, that's not right. That's not how they would do it. Folks, I am not a lawyer. I have never been to law school. I've never been in a courtroom, folks. I have no idea what they do, but for some reason, I'm smarter than those lawyers on TV. I have no idea, okay? I'm watching a show like Grey's Anatomy or something like that, and they're reattaching an arm to a body. That's not how you would do that. This is how you would do that. I'm not a medical doctor, folks, but for some reason, I slept at a Holiday Inn Express last night, and I must feel like one, all right? But I love those medical dramas, and I, and, and, but when I read these passages in the New Testament about these individuals being healed of these, of these diseases. When we go to the hospital or to the doctor and we sit in a room, I mean, when we're sick, the majority of the time we know that we have instant access, all right, to 
you know, urgent care, you know, and, and you're going to get in there pretty quickly, right? And, you know, and, or you have the access to the doctor or you have access to the emergency room. Now, folks, if you go to the emergency room here in Frankfurt, you're probably going to have to take a bunk with you, okay? Because you're going to be there for probably all day, all right? But the idea is that you have access and there is healing medicines in there. During the first century, simple diseases, simple ailments would kill you. Very simple ailments would kill you. And so I love it when these individuals who are either paralyzed, who are, para, who are paralytics, or who have leprosy, or have other diseases, they come up to Christ looking for healing. These are, these are diseases that no one else is going to be, they're not, they're not able to get them cured any other way. But they know that they can go to Christ and just say, will you make me clean? Will you heal me? Because they know that Jesus just by the simple touch, can heal. Folks, he doesn't even have to touch you to heal you, but I find it impressive that he does touch, and we're going to talk about that. We are all lepers. So let's look at this first passage here. Let's look at the mercy of Christ, verses 40 through 42. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, right there, I just want to point out a couple things. First of all, it says leper, and he very well may have had leprosy. And leprosy was a horrible disease. It made you an outcast in society. Now, I will say this, that some individuals would uh, have this vision of leprosy and these other skin, uh, these dermatitises and other skin conditions that made you, that almost like they had to kind of go live off by themselves completely. That's not really what was going on in that society. They were able to live with individuals, but they weren't able to worship. They were able to go to synagogues, but they weren't able to go to temple, and they weren't able to go inside of like Jerusalem and other cities that had been walled off from sort of like the ancient lands around them, right? So they weren't able to convene or to uh, to, to, to congregate with people in business. So oftentimes they were poor, they didn't have jobs, all of these sorts of things. So when it says leprosy here, he could have been a leper or he could have had just a, a very dramatic skin condition. So oftentimes leprosy, when it says leprosy, it would have been a disease like leprosy. But he comes to Jesus imploring him. I love that word there it used. He's begging Christ. And he says this, kneeling, if you will, you can make me clean. He doesn't say, Jesus, can you clean me? He doesn't say, can you heal me? He says, if you will, if you desire to, you can make me clean. He does not question the power of Christ. All he does is question whether or not Jesus wills to make him clean. That right there demonstrates the faith of that man who has leprosy, knowing that this Jesus has the power to heal any disease. Anything cumbersome, this man can take it away. Jesus, early on, we're in the first chapter of Mark. Now, we're moving pretty quick through Mark. But in the first chapter of Mark, he has already demonstrated that he is unlike any man who has come before him. He is not, some people say, well, he's a prophet. 
He is a teacher. He's a good man. All of those sorts of things, folks. Yes, he is all of those things. But he's so much more. I want you to notice one other thing here. It says, and kneeling said to him, if you will, can you make me clean? He doesn't say, can you heal me? He doesn't say, can you heal me? He doesn't say, can you treat my disease? He says, can you make me clean? Leprosy was more than just a disease that that you needed to be healed from. It was an indication that you were unclean from a religious practice from a religious standpoint. So they weren't able to go to the temple because not only was he not healed, he was unclean. He was there there was something that he needed to be cleansed from. Folks, that's a that's a supernatural thing that's taking place there. He recognized that he needed more than just healing. A deeper healing. He needed to be cleansed of his sin. It says in verse 41, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Be clean. That's all he did. He didn't didn't come up with a bunch of medicinal things. He didn't like start getting roots and leaves and stuff and grind them up and make some sort. He wasn't, he wasn't a medicine man. All that needed to happen was Christ to say, I will. Be clean. That's it. Now, early on it says he had pity on him. That's where I get this phrase, the mercy of Christ. Now, in some versions it, demonst- it says that Christ was indignant all right, that there was some anger there is what it implies. That is likely not the, the, the right translation to that, okay? Um, the, the right translation there is probably this idea of pity. It's not mercy. It's more of a he feels sorry for him. There's empathy there. There's sorrow. There's sympathy for this man. And so he feels pity on this individual because nobody else in society will acknowledge him. It's likely that his family has rejected him, that his friends have rejected him, that all of everyone has rejected him. And so Christ feels pity on him. So he has mercy on this man. And he says, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. It didn't take time, folks. I wish I could find a medicine that worked that quick. I wish I could. And that just demonstrates that Jesus is the great physician. Jesus is the great physician. You can be of perfect health. We could be of perfect health, not a blemish on the skin. Estee Lauder will want to take your picture. Post it in Macy's or wherever they sell Estee Lauder or Clinique. And I'm going to stop there naming perfumes and makeups because I don't want to lose my man card today. But you get the idea, all right? Perfect skin, perfect hair, perfect health. Your blood pressure is that perfect number. Your BMI is that perfect number. All of that kind of stuff, perfect health, and you could still be dead. Because we need more 
than skin-deep treatment for what, what ails us. See, we are all lepers, and I don't mean skin conditions. I mean we are all unclean if it's not for Christ. And we say, Jesus, will you make us clean? We know you can make us clean. Will you do it? And Jesus says, I will be clean. It reminds me of in Luke when he's on the cross on Golgotha and the two criminals are on either side. And the one criminal looks at him. The other one's mocking him. And this other criminal looks at him and says, Remember me, Jesus, when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. No ceremony. No ritual, not even a baptism, folks. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Who has that type of power? We're going to talk about that in a, in a week or two. Who has the power, the authority to do what Jesus is doing? Well, no one except for Christ. And it's because of who He is. He is the Messiah. Let's continue. Let's look at verse 43. We're going to look at the command of Jesus here. Verse 43, it says, And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for yourself, offer and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, what does that mean here? Let's talk about the second half of this passage because that's a lot easier to interpret than the first half. When Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof of them, that ties all the way back to Leviticus. So Leviticus chapter 14, there is a, there's an entire chapter there, verses I believe 2 through 31, that talks about what you are to do when you are a leper or you have this kind of skin condition, what you are to do to be cleansed so that you might then be able to worship with the congregation again. It's a pretty lengthy passage. I could read that to you all, but honestly, it's pretty cumbersome. There's, there's different things going on, and it depends on whether or not you are rich or whether you are poor, okay? And if you are rich, you do one thing, basically what you can afford. And if you're poor, you do another thing. Now, this is not to cleanse, this is not to heal you, mind you. This is to cleanse you. Okay? So what this is, is individuals who were healed of their disease would then come to be cleansed by offering what Moses in Leviticus said to offer. And so it's a variety of things that were happening there. Now, why do I want to bring that up? We know that in the New Testament that Jesus is the fulfiller of the law, that Jesus fulfills the law, but this is not to say that Jesus rejects the law. He's not rejecting the law. He's not saying there's no place for the law. He's saying, I fulfill the law. But even during this early part of his ministry, Jesus still wants to abide by the customs and the traditions of the Jewish faith. And he says, if you want to go into the temple, then you need to do what Moses said you should do in Leviticus. Go and do that. And it says here, 
offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, what is the proof? The proof is that they've already been cleansed. He's already been cleansed. Now, he's going to bring the offering, but he's already been cleansed of this disease. He has already done what the priest could not do because Jesus is the true high priest. Jesus is the true high priest. So we see here in the first part of this that Jesus is healer. In the second part, we see that Jesus is sort of taking the role of this high priest, that he's doing the cleansing. He's saying, offer this proof that you have been cleansed. And if you want to look at that, you can look in Leviticus chapter 14, verses 2 through 31. But what I want to go back and look at is when Jesus sternly charges him and sends him away at once. So he sends him away at once. So he says, go away. And then he says, see that you say nothing to anyone. Now, that's an odd statement. Now, let's compare this to our culture. Okay? Let's compare this to our culture. In our culture... I'm just, I'm just going to bank on this, that if one of us were to look at someone with a disease and we said, you are healed, let's just imagine ourselves, okay, thump them on the forehead, they fall backwards, shake a little bit, and now they're healed, okay? You all know where I'm going with that, okay? And let's say they are genuinely healed of that disease. What's going to happen? In our culture, we don't say, now don't you go tell anybody. I did this in private so no one would see. Don't go tell anybody. No. We would say, okay, I need you to go to the Herald Leader and the Courier Journal and the State Journal, even though they're going to get it wrong, but go ahead, okay? And I want you to put out an ad saying that Christopher, no, no, Dr. Christopher Grimes just healed you. I want you to throw a party. I like German chocolate cake. And we're going to celebrate this thing of what I have done. I have healed you. Let everybody know we're throwing a party. I want my name in lights. That's not what Christ does here. He says, don't tell anybody. Now, why is that? It was not time yet. It wasn't time for that. Jesus was not healing individuals in order to gain a mass reception for himself. That wasn't the point. In fact, Jesus says, don't tell everybody because what if you tell individuals, what's going to end up happening is that I'm going to have to go hide away so that I can continue to minister to my disciples. See, that's something that we, that we miss. In the three years that Jesus is doing his ministry, yes, he heals individuals. Yes, he cleanses individuals of unclean spirits. He raises people from the dead. He does all of these things, all right? But his primary ministry in his three years on earth was not the healing. It was not the cleaning of unclean spirits. It was the discipling of those 12 men that were then going to go thereafter. And if he's got crowds and crowds of people gathered around him at all times trying to get their hands on his robe, he's not going to have the time to be able to multiply the ministry through these 12 men. And so he says, don't do it. My time has not yet come yet. And he sternly charges him. 
Now, here's what's funny. This is not the first time Jesus does this. He does it multiple times. Early in his ministry, don't tell anybody yet. Don't tell anybody yet. So let's go ahead and look at the response. Verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely. He is cleansed. He gets clean. And Jesus says, don't go do this one thing. And what is the first thing he does? He goes and tells everybody. He went out and began to talk freely about it. I mean, he's telling everybody. You're, you're standing in line. You're standing in line at you know at the I don't know fast food restaurant, Walmart, something like that. I was going to say you're waiting for a cashier to get ring your things out, but you're your own cashier now. All right, but you you know you're sitting in line. And you just, have you ever had that one thing, you just, you're excited about something, you just want to tell somebody, so you strike up conversation with somebody, just so you can tell them, just so you can tell them, you know, like it's your birthday, and so you have like this little badge, and you're talking to somebody, and it's not too big, because you don't want to be like, you know, real arrogant about it, but, <laughs> you know, it's my birthday, wish me happy birthday, right, I mean, you want, you want somebody to ask, you know, you're just banking for somebody. Something good has happened in your life, so you're just banking for somebody to ask you how your day was. So you go up to them and you say, say it's, it's good to see you, Christian. How was your day? And you're just like, just waiting for her to say, how was your day? Oh, it was wonderful. It was, let me tell you everything. That's not even what's going on. This guy's going around, he's just freely offering everything. Hey, stranger, I've never met. Let me tell you what has happened. Jesus has just told him not to do it, and he jumps, and we're like, man, he just couldn't wait. to. Can you blame him? Can you blame him? He went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. You see what's happened? He has now shared this news. Might I, might I say, he has shared the good news of what Jesus has done. And people are flocking to Christ. Now, when I read that, it is easy for us to look at that and say, man, he was not very obedient. And that's a conclusion that we could rightfully come to. Or here's another conclusion. There's a man who knows what he has. There's a man who knows what he has. And there's a man that can't keep it to himself. And that's my concern with Christians today. Christians today, I don't know that they truly know what they have. I don't know that Christians today especially Christians in the United States, okay? I'm going to say in the United States, where we have everything that we could possibly want at our fingertips. At our fingertips. We have everything that we want. And I don't think Christians today truly know what we have in Christ and how valuable that is. Remember when it talks about what the kingdom of God is like, it's like, a king, it's like a treasure buried in a field. 
And that treasure is so valuable that you sell everything that you have in order to buy that field just so you can get that treasure. It's that valuable. I don't believe Christians realize what they actually have. And I say in the United States because we have everything at our fingertips. Sometimes I believe wealth and riches. And you may say, I'm not wealthy. Folks, you are wealthy. There's not a person in this room that is not wealthy compared to the rest of the world. We have everything at our fingertips. There's a lot of, there's, a, there's some aggravation right now. You'll see it with some legislators that we have this daylight saving, savings time, saving time. There's no S on the end. It's, it's like Kroger, not Kroger's mom. Anyway, okay, so it's, you know, it's daylight saving time. And there are some individuals that want to get rid of that and just have this standard time throughout the year. Maybe you are one of those, and I completely understand, you know, you kind of, especially on days like this morning, okay, when it feels like we're getting up an hour early. I like it. I was telling my wife this morning, I like it. And it's not because of the practicality of it. It's because it reminds me that we weren't always a technological society. It reminds me that there was a time where men and women got up at the crack of dawn to go out and to feed the cattle, to get milk, to work the fields, that we were an agrarian society and it reminds me still that even today, with everything at our fingertips, that there are still men and women that are doing that. And so it's just a reminder of where we've come from and really where we still are, even if we neglect that. Now, why do I bring that up? It's this, is that we neglect the power of the gospel in our own lives. And I think it's because we have all this other stuff around us distracting us from that. I wish that we had the same, just a, just a little bit, just a little bit of the enthusiasm that this man had for what Christ had done for him. Look at me. I was a leper. I was a leper. I was unclean. And this man, he healed me with a word. Not just with a word. You all would not touch me. And this man laid his hand on me and he healed me. He couldn't keep it inside. He's just talking freely about it. It would be wonderful if we had just a smidgen of that enthusiasm to share what Christ has done in our lives. Because folks, we are all we were all lepers. We were all lepers. And if you are in Christ, then that means you have been cleaned. You have been healed of your disease, of that sin. And what I want to know is, are you wanting to go into the streets and shout, look at what this man has done for me? If it had not been for Christ... I would still be outside of the fold. If it had not been for Christ, I would still be unclean. If it had not been for Christ, I would still be dead in my trespasses. I would still be a leper. I would still be outside of the congregation. But because of Christ, I have been brought into the fold. I am now in the family of God. I am now in Christ. He has made me clean. 
people respond to enthusiasm. People respond to excitement. People respond to passion. Are you passionate about Christ? Are you passionate about what Christ has done for you? You know, I, I, I picked on the United States, and you all know where I stand. I, I, I love our country very, very much. I'm so thankful that God has appointed me to be here, but there are times where I wonder whether or not it's a hindrance to my faith. And here's what I mean by that. Is that in other countries, and I know that I'm, I'm like a broken record, but it bears repeating, that in other countries where everything's not at their fingertips, that when they are saved, when Christ saves them, it's a celebration. It's a celebration. And it's not just a momentary celebration. They can't keep it in. And folks, that celebration might be under cloak and dagger. They may not be able to proclaim that like this man is proclaiming it for fear of death. But they are proclaiming it nonetheless. How many of us have that passion and that enthusiasm? We were lepers until Christ cleansed us. And here's my prayer. Here's what I, would, what I believe the Word is calling us to do. Go about and passionately, freely, tell people what Jesus has done for you. And they're going to look at you like you're weird. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. And I say, let them. Let them. It is my prayer that that's exactly that what we would do, is that we would be heralds of the good news of Jesus Christ, letting individuals know that we were lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we see. We were lepers, but now we are cleansed. And it's all because of Christ. Let's pray. Father, My prayer, Lord, that we would all be as energized about talking about Christ and about what He has done for us as we are about so many other things in our life. whether it be ball games or our kids' accomplishments, our new job, our new house. We want to talk about all those things. Father, I pray that we would be at least as enthusiastic about Jesus and the good news as we are about them. Thank you for loving us and being merciful enough to 
cleanse us of our sin. I thank you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen.